Hello and welcome to Sharp China. I'm Andrew Sharp, and you are listening to a free preview of today's episode. Lots of the world needs infrastructure investment, and so the question then is, how does it get done well? And the developed the developed world has not been delivering. The Chinese stepped into this void. There are lots of issues with transparency standards,、um, financial terms for, for for the countries that are on the other end of the BRI deals.、Um, the hope is that. As the Chinese tweak it, as the EU, US get more involved, Japan gets gets even more involved, that maybe we can end up in a situation where there's some competition around these kinds of projects, but ultimately it is benefiting the the parts of the world that need、right. more infrastructure. I mean, maybe that's sort of a naive kumbaya view, but、um, that's where I come out. I don't I don't come out as like, oh my god, the BRE is so evil, but I also don't come out as like, oh my god, the BRE is going to take over the world because the BRE has a lot of problems, but it's also not going away. Right, it's pretty interesting. I mean, in the Wall Street Journal story, they write China's lending practices have been criticized by foreign leaders, economists, and others who say the program has contributed to debt crises in places like Sri Lanka and Zambia, and that many countries have limited ways to repay the loans. Some projects have also been called mismatches for a country's infrastructure needs or damaging to the environment. Chinese money has been used to build everything from a port in Pakistan. To roads in Ethiopia and a transmission line in Brazil, in addition to the aforementioned projects in Ecuador,、um, and then there was also the article in the New York Times this week about tensions between the Solomon Islands and China. Is that something that's part of Belt and Road? Like how how broad is this? Well, it's of- it's amorphous, right? And so some、yeah. of the some of the financing issues are overseas. You know that that's not specifically Belt and Road. Some is. Um, there is a lot of transparency. There, a lot of countries need their debt restructured, and the Chinese debt is part of it. But it's not even the majority. A lot of places, and also Chinese debt is not all. Some of it's private. It's very. It's 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 messy.、Mm-hmm. And you know, the Solomon Islands is is you know very much a geopolitical contest.、Um, and you know what what the usually when you see Xi Jinping. We'll have a meeting or a call with a a foreign leader. In the readout of the call that the the Chinese side puts out, at least there's usually sort of a handful of things that it'll say that leader said supports or agrees to. So one is around like the one China policy, or as the Chinese call it, the one China principle.、Um, you also see it around what what the Chinese launched I think last year, late 2021, this global development initiative, which is about development maps to some of the UN development. But also, kind of, kind of maps a little bit to BRI. Like it's all, it's all a bit intermingled.、Um, another is this global security initiative, and then another. Oftentimes, you'll see that they they welcome or they they want to sign up to Belt and Road Initiative projects.、Um, mm. And so, it's part of the toolbox from a diplomacy and geopolitical perspective.、Uh, but not every overseas investment from China is part of BRI. Okay, interesting. Yeah, well, and and the Solomon Islands one, it definitely s- seems like the Solomon Islands have a lot of strategic value for yeah, China. Yeah, and I and I believe they've also said they're signing up to Belt and Road, and you know, it's it's so it's it's a, um, but I mean, the Solomon Islands is just it's just you know, the U.S. and Australia just sort of neglected that country for a long time, took it for granted, and with BRI, there tends to be a fair amount of opacity around the deals. And, and and certainly in some places they add inducements to co-opt local elite local politicians. Yes, that that、uh, and, is what that's the journal. The Wall Street Journal story I think talked about that in Ecuador, at least hinted at it, right? Right, and the Times hinted at it in the Solomon Islands, where I think the people are very frustrated by the Chinese、right. presence, but, but leaders. 
but like for example, that New York Times talking about the Solomon Islands, it talked about something that's not it's been reported before. Is there's this fund for these politicians, and basically the Chinese, the Taiwan, you know, the Solomon Islands used to recognize Taiwan. Then PRC moved them over from Taiwan to recognize the PRC. The you know the the PRC just put more money into the fund that the Taiwan used the Taiwan used to put in the fund. Ah, right. So so it's again, it's like okay, this is co-opting local elites, but we should not assume that only China does this because that would be far from the truth. I, I was going to say, all this sounds like familiar policy to anybody who's followed America's activities around the world right. over the last hundred years. Um, well, and especially especially during the Cold War, if, if we, you know, if, not that the U.S. and China are a Cold War, but whatever you want to call it or wherever we end up in, you know, I mean, what do you think the U.S. did during those decades of, of Cold War with the, with the Soviets? I mean, sure. we went around the world co-opting local elites and political systems to be on our side. That's mm-hmm. what countries do when they're in this kind of a when they're in this kind of a um, competition. Yeah, well, and I wonder whether our infrastructure held up better than the Chinese infrastructure that's going up around the world. I'm sure there'd be a so lot of I've different heard, perspectives on that. I mean, I've I've heard yes. Um, I've heard jokes about roads, like you know, it's a Chinese road because it's great for a year, but. You know, again, those are more anecdotal, although this Wall Street Journal story is interesting. I also heard back in the Obama administration, so the waning years, I knew someone who was a, a senior official there, and they told this story at a dinner party about how they wanted to compete with a project in Africa the Chinese were doing, and it, it had to do with a, it was a hydropower project. And um, the host country said, okay, make a proposal, and the U.S. government tried to, you know, get these different companies together to do it. Mm-hmm. And like you couldn't, it was like herding cats, right? <laughs> yeah. Whereas China was like, "Oh yeah, here, here's our, here's our main contractor, here's the company, here's the proposal, here's the money," right? And so, and so, our system, the systems just work differently, and so totally differently, yeah, with different advantages, different advantages, and different problems. How is it messaged within China? I mean, we're sitting here in America in Washington D.C., but like, do the people of China take pride in Belt and Road, and is it? you know, a talking point for state backed media. I'm curious about how, how they frame it. It's definitely a talking point for state backed media. There have been some controversies uh, like on social media where people sort of ask questions about like, well, why is all this money going to, you know, support X, Y country when, you know, we can't build a hospital in this little city or rural Mm -hmm. county or whatever, you know, there's a, there's definitely some questions in some quarters about, you know, why is all this money being spent overseas when we still have lots of China that needs to be built up too? Yep, that makes sense. Um, well, we can continue talking. If people have questions, they can email us at email at sharpchina.fm. And I'll put links to the Wall Street Journal story and the New York Times story in the show notes. Another bit of advice for new China watchers, check the show notes. We put some good stuff in there. Um, to keep it moving... My question is, this is from a reader of yours whose name is unclear, but he says, my question is about the recent reports of members of Congress, Texas state legislators, Texas and Florida governors pushing to ban Chinese land purchases. In some cases, these bills or proposals would go beyond banning CCP members or entities linked to the CCP but instead ban all Chinese citizens in their states or anywhere in the U.S. from purchasing property. I can see the logic of forbidding, say, a PLA-linked company from buying land next to critical military or power grid infrastructure, but outright bans on any Chinese person in the U.S. buying a house or business 
seem not just xenophobic and dangerous to ethnically Chinese people in the United States, but also self-harming to U.S. economic interests. If our asymmetric advantage in the U.S. is attracting the best and brightest from around the world, how do bills like this affect how America is perceived internationally? And if passed, how might China react? What do you think, Bill? So, no, I think it's a great question. And this is this was from the um, the the cynicism chat on the app uh, that I asked for questions a little late today. I'm a little bit out of this week. Um, but so this one that came in about an hour ago, uh, the person is which I think means like strike a pose. I don't know who this person is, but um, no, I think it's a great question. And I think in general, these kind of blanket bans are terrible. I mean, we have a in the U.S. a long and sad history of uh, institutional racism towards uh, people from China. I mean, we had the the Chinese Exclusion Act for mm-hmm. several decades, where we banned people from China coming to the U.S. And so this is this very much has echoes of that, and it's very, I think, it's very counterproductive and xenophobic on on a whole bunch of levels. Um, I do I do think that there are sensitivities around specific types of infrastructure where foreign ownership in general is potentially problematic. Um, this, these state bans, I think it's Texas, Florida, there may be, I think it was maybe South Dakota, maybe another, uh, another state that's talking about it. They don't seem to be particularly well thought out. You know, what, for example, if, if someone is a, has a green card, are they not allowed? Mm-hmm. Um, what if they're naturalized, but they were only recently, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that just gets, you know, and I, legally, I don't know if they, if they could be challenged if these pass, but I think it's, it's counterproductive in a lot of ways. These are the kind of things that you want to do. Um, in a very, very, I think, well-defined, targeted way around, again, like specific kinds of sensitive facilities. Right. Um, you know, on the Chinese side, foreigners can buy property in China. There are some limitations around places you can buy. I mean, and I'm not actually sure how well they're written, but I do know of cases where people who wanted to buy property, like I know someone who tried to buy a really nice courtyard house in Beijing and it was next to a fairly sensitive place. And so as soon as they saw it was a foreigner, the transaction was allowed to go through. Um, mm. Is that written down somewhere? I, I don't know. Um, but it's it's not unreasonable to look at limiting foreign purchases of land around sensitive sites. But a blanket ban, again, I'm repeating myself, but a blanket ban, I think, is 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 racist, xenophobic, and counterproductive. And so... We'll see how much these progress. I imagine. I think DeSantis in Florida. I think DeSantis in Florida has been pushing this. Uh, the Texas probably, if they really go sort of push them through the state legislatures, given that um, the governor's parties control those legislatures, they'll probably pass. The real estate lobby in the U.S. should be going nuts over this because there used to be a lot of Chinese money buying real estate in the U.S. and they tend to be cash buyers. With that, with mortgage rates up, housing market softening, the China reopening, I think there's a lot of hope that they'll see sort of an influx of new PRC buyers of U.S. real estate to help support the market, generate commissions, keep prices up, et cetera. This kind of stuff is not conducive to that. And so to the point about economic inactivity, uh, a blank, these kind of blanket bans, I think, could, could have a pretty, pretty bad economic impact in certain places. All right, and that's the end of the free preview. If you'd like to subscribe and receive full episodes of this show, you can do that in two ways. First, you can go to Sinicism.com and sign up for Bill's newsletter, which will also give you access to all of our Sharp China shows. Or if you want to receive all our Sharp China episodes along with daily analysis of the tech business from Ben Thompson, several other podcasts about technology, and more shows that we'll be adding in the months to come, 
you can click the link in your show notes and subscribe to Stratechery Plus. Plus.